lawmakers may be ready to take a chance on a budget compromise. The fireworks begin on the city income tax debate. And Stivers and Kilroy to star in their own version of Groundhog Day. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Karen Kassler this week, Reginald Fields, Columbus Bureau Chief for The Plain Dealer, Herb Asher, Professor of Political Science at Ohio State University, and Terry Casey, Republican Strategist. I'm Karen Kastler from Ohio Public Radio and Television Statehouse News Bureau. Very pleased to be filling in for Mike Thompson this week. Is the biggest state budget mess in nearly two decades about to be resolved finally? For a second week, the state is operating on a short-term budget, and that's changed a lot of things. It's put adoptions on hold, forced cuts in mental health services for kids, and could shut down child care centers for low-income children. For weeks, the governor and the state legislator have been struggling over the budget. The governor wants to raise nearly a billion dollars with slot machines at Ohio's seven horse racing tracks. But there is strong opposition from Republicans over how and if that should happen. So, Reggie, there is word... And we're taping this on Friday afternoon. So as we hear about this on Friday afternoon, there's word that a compromise might be in the works. What do you what do you know? Well, it, it sounds absolutely like a compromise. It's going to be announced uh, possibly later today, this Friday or over the weekend. And it sounds like the governor is going to get what he wants, which is to implement slots and to to raise the projected revenue uh, that his administration projects. Uh, but there is a compromise and that uh, the governor did not want to have to do a Uh, but by the same token, uh, the Senate Republicans who have been opposed to this uh, may also have to help the governor in a way by uh, presenting some enabling language, if you will, to allow the Ohio lottery to be able to uh, implement slots. And so uh, it's, it sounds like finally uh, a compromise has been reached, has been reached. And this was the last, uh, this was, uh, I don't know if it's the last issue, but this was the major hurdle that needed to be uh, cleared before they can finally get a, a balanced budget. Yeah, they told us some 500 items that were in the budget mm -hmm. were all worked out except for this one thing but why didn't the governor just go ahead and do this he did it with Keno and the Keno numbers came in lower uh, why did he want the state legislator state legislature to come in with him on this is it really because he was fearing lawsuits and, and uh, court challenges or because if it doesn't work then it can't be just his name that's pinned on this in a way it's both and both Reggie used the word that how the state Senate was going to help the governor uh, there's some there politically that say they want to help the governor. If he's standing on a cliff, they want to give him a little push so he gets all the credit and all the glory. Uh, but clearly one of the big issues in this budget, if you look at Indiana, they just finalized their budget July 1st, and their governor is going to have a billion-dollar rainy day fund left. Ohio spent it all, and I've got 90 cents right here. It's not very much money. But it's a penny more than we, what we have in the rainy day right, fund. Right now in Ohio, we've got 89 cents left in the rainy day fund. And many would argue when you look at the unemployment map of Ohio, we've got a lot more rainy, stormy days to come. An unemployment rate that's now 10.8 and is probably going to go up to 12 or 13 percent, which is going to affect revenue picture uh, in the coming months. 
I, I do think that the governor was concerned about uh, legal issues, whether or not uh, if he were to do this by executive order, um, whether or not it, it would be legally challenged and successfully legally challenged because he says that it's much different than Keno. Um, and so when I say that the Senate Republicans are going to have to help him to be able to do this, uh, my understanding is, is that uh, there will need to be some, some information placed into the budget that's clearly going to be able to state that the Ohio lottery can authorize slot machine, a game of chance, you know, under the Ohio lottery, which right now it looks pretty clear in the Constitution that they would not be able to do this. Um, also, a ticketed game, Keno being a ticketed game, your, the lottery that, you know, you may play is being a ticketed game. Slots are not a ticketed game. So um, there needs to be that sort of information placed in there if the governor is going to go with an executive order that has a chance of standing up to a legal challenge. I mean, lawyers do disagree about whether the governor has the power to do this. And this is different from Keno. Uh, this is a much more substantial expansion. And in this case, we know that some people are going to go to court to challenge this, no matter how it's done, if it's not done with a vote of the people. So therefore, in fact, what I think the governor is saying is that, well, if the legislature also supports it in some way, that will give it stronger legal standing in court. But I think also the whole notion of them all joining together to do it provides some kind of uh, uh, political protection and impetus. But the joining together, what it's going to be in this separate bill, and it, the key word is decriminalize, because there are sections of the state code that say certain things are criminal acts. By removing what's criminal and what's uh, clarifying what's criminal and what's not criminal, you give a little more protection that way. But one of the areas where they have to really be careful, I had lunch today with Betty Montgomery, former attorney general, and she said both as a prosecutor and as attorney general, the whole area of gambling law is so complex, so convoluted, so confusing. If you don't take your time to write it just right, you can open the door, as happened a year or so ago, on the skill games. You put something in, it looks good on paper, but then lawyers look for ways to drive trucks through it, yeah. and then suddenly you got more problems. Yeah, I think two years ago, probably people would have said, no, you really can't go down this path. And then we had Keno, so that sort of set a bit of a precedent, and now we're doing this. But I think two years ago, people would have said, well, no, no, we'll have to do what the racetrack owners did a number of years ago and actually put an amendment on the ballot. So now we're going down a different path. There will, in fact, be some challenges to this by, what, the, the roundtable, among other things. And, uh, and therefore, in fact, again, the, the notion that somehow the legislature is sanctioning it probably does give a greater legal standing than a mere executive order. And the one thing we haven't mentioned yet, the complexity legally, is there's the ballot issue headed the ballot in November for four casinos for Penn National and Mr. Gilbert that owns the Cavs. And those four locations, that would operate under a different gaming commission, a different tax structure. And if that passes, how does that affect things? And do some people that maybe want their four casinos, which would have table games, to do a lot better, maybe they have some friends who challenge things, including how the money's divvied up. Because last week, the assistant OBM director made clear that the education money, they're going to take in the front door, the back door is going to be open, and there's going to be a bunch of money go out the door so it can be spread around the rest of the general fund. And the Ohio Supreme Court has previously said in the Mega Millions case, you can't do that kind of budgeting. 
Now, putting this on the ballot was going to be a dicey proposition, even though we had a Quinnipiac poll last week that said 84% of voters wanted the chance to vote on it. 65% of people supported Governor Strickland's plan. But uh, still putting it out before the voters, there was no there was no guarantee, and that's what Governor Strickland kept saying. There was sure, no guarantee sure. that this was going to pass. Well, what will be interesting now is we, we likely will, though, have the casino gambling issue on the ballot. So let's watch to see who supports it, who opposes it, and where the money comes to oppose it. Because uh, uh, people have, uh, the racetracks now have, at least those racetracks not owned by casino interests, so probably have a, a vested interest now in defeating that. Right. It's, it's an interesting point because um, previous uh, statewide initiatives to expand gambling have also shown well in the polls, but then when it comes to election day, they've, they've failed. And um, this is interesting now, uh, considering the casino proposal, because if we're going to go down the, the road to slots at this point right now, uh, that, that sort of weakens a very key argument against expanded gambling once we do um, come up to this issue of casinos, which has always been, well, uh, Ohio doesn't want expanded gambling. We don't want that in this state. That's always been kind of the, 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 the cry. It's been voted down before. But if you're now going to have a, a governor and a, a House speaker and, and a Senate president who are all uh, sort of um, putting their medal behind, um, you know, a slots proposal, which is expanded gambling, I wonder how that's going to have an impact, you know, if it's not going to weaken that argument, I guess, when it comes to trying to fight against the casino proposal. Right. You know, if one could roll back the clock, I think Terry and I were on a show probably within the last year or so, and, uh, and I think we got into a discussion and said there would come a time where the state might regret that it did not take the lead in terms of really defining a full gambling issue that might involve casinos and racetracks and all of that, where the state or the legislature put that on the ballot and in fact uh, uh, got the maximum return for the state with all the appropriate protections. Now, it will be interesting should that casino issue pass, and I'm, I think it's unlikely that it's going to pass, but... Uh, I think but it's got a better chance but, than you think. Well, well it may, and if it, but if it does, then all of a sudden we will in fact now have major expansion of gambling, and even if it doesn't pass, I think Reggie's right. I mean, now in fact, you know, we've really taken a giant step it's hard to argue that at some point down the road, you not take the next step. Well, and in that idea of some point down the road, there's still the suggestion that this isn't going to be enough money, that we're mm. going to have a big budget hole at this time next year when Governor Strickland, assuming he runs for re-election, he's never officially announced it, mm. he's going to be in the middle of a very big campaign for re-election. Do we have a bigger problem facing us down the road? Well, I think, I think we do, and it really depends on the behavior of the economy and whether, in fact, we start... Uh, uh, you know, seeing unemployment uh, rates going down or whatever, but uh, once we get past this budget process, then presumably if we have an unbalanced budget up to a certain point, why the governor has the unilateral authority to cut. Doesn't need the legislature's approval, but what if in fact the, the budget hole turns out to be another billion or two billion dollars? And again, we don't know that right now because we don't know how the economy is going to perform. Uh, would you, in fact, then expect the governor to make another billion or two billion dollars in cuts? Or does that raise the question of coming back into special session to really address this? And I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. And that's a function of what the economy does. And there's some interests like the bar owners, the bowling alley people, there's all the veterans, fraternal groups. They all want and say, where did God decree that the first slots in Ohio shall be at racetracks? They're saying we'd be better and let us have them.
Yeah. Now, one other thing that uh, Senate President Bill Harris has said to reporters is that there are other ways to raise money, including securitizing things like we did with the tobacco settlement. I asked him the turnpike, the lottery, and he, he wouldn't tell us. He said he wanted to talk to reporters, or not to reporters, but to the governor. Is there any movement on this? Do you think that is a viable option? Well, other, other states have done those things in terms of the turnpike, the lotteries. Uh, the problem is today is not as good of time to have done it as opposed to a year, year and a half ago when those assets would have been worth more from Wall Street. Because right now, Wall Street's a little tighter on being able to write the bigger checks. But there are other options, but you can get dangerous. New Jersey, New York yeah, in the past yeah, yeah. have sold off their prisons and then they rent them from these people they sold them to. Yeah, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, well, but where else do you cut? If you don't do that and you don't want to raise taxes, which we keep hearing over and over, we're not going to do. I mean, they've already said they're going to um, not make the uh, contribution cuts to state employee retirement funds. They're going to take back some of the cuts that they had for libraries and the mental health services. Mm. Where else is there? Mm. I think you've answered your own question. Uh, <laughs> that at some point, I think, uh, you know, if you believe that government has the responsibility to provide support for certain services, and if you recognize that you know, much of state government funding is actually transfers to other units. Uh, it may be the case that there are no additional easy cuts. I mean, uh, you know, one can o over the longer term say, oh, let's think about reforming government, let's think about sentencing reform, let's think about further nursing home reform and things like that. And that down the road might save you some money, but it doesn't really get to the, the kind of level of savings that, you, that you're talking about here. So my guess is at some point, if the economy doesn't cooperate, that at some point in the future, that the, that the question of revenues, and, and they may be more creative things, or, or maybe there are some less unpopular kinds of taxes or whatever, uh, might be on the agenda. But I think right now, everybody's hoping that uh, this gets us through the next 18 months. Uh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the, the thing that you don't hear uh, is tax increase. And I think at some point, they're going to have to address whether or not you actually have to raise taxes. But Governor Strickland's been down that path before, and he lost re-election for Congress in 94 because of the Clinton tax hike he voted for. I mean, he's a man burnt once. He doesn't be burnt, be burnt again. Well, well, early on, that was ruled out by the governor the House Speaker and the Senate President. So there was consensus right from the very beginning that taxes were not part of the solution. Well, let's move on to another uh, entity that's having some budget problems. Of course, the state of Ohio not alone in that. Mayor Michael Coleman is proposing a hike in the city income tax, which would raise the rate from 2% to 2.5%. And now viewers are starting to see TV ads about the proposal, and a number of forums have been scheduled to discuss the proposed tax hike. In fact, one of them will take place right here on Columbus on the Record on July 31st on WOSU-TV. Uh, Terry Casey, you are going to be a participant in one of these uh, debate forums here. So I'm wondering, this is a permanent tax hike, but is this budget shortfall a permanent problem for the city of Columbus? Well, Columbus, if you look at the detailed numbers from the city of Columbus, and I've got one of the sheets right here, and you can't exactly see the chart very well, but basically since 2001, we have not had a balanced city budget. Now, fortunately, Mayor Coleman inherited a big rainy day fund from Greg Lashutka. They refinanced the trash burning power plant debt, picked up an extra 55 million, but the rainy day fund, the savings account, is kind of lost and gone. And uh, I was last night at a program in Clintonville where I live. Hugh Dorian was there answering a lot of questions and he got some tough ones. The week before, Mayor Coleman was there. I mean, clearly they're talking a lot about it, but there's a lot of doubt and question. 
And one of the biggest issues is the most of the city employees, they get their portion that normally state employees, people to Social Security pay into the pension or Social Security, the taxpayers pick up that. And that's something that's irritating to people. So Columbus has got problems. The question is, do they believe it's really that bad and are there any other alternatives? That should be said that you are going to be a participant in one of these <coughs> forums because you are against the city income tax proposal. This is the first one in 27 years though. I mean, why doesn't the city need, doesn't the city need more money after this well, expansion well, in this many years? I worked for Tom Moody way back when and the reality when they passed the last tax increase, it was to 2%. But then that income tax collected a little over $200 million. Well, the income tax has grown as people's income, ta income has grown and now collects over 500 million. So the city's grown, the budget's grown, we've had inflation, but City Hall has spent a lot of money and through most of the 80s and the 90s, they could do lots of things. Now things have gotten tighter. Well, let me ask you about that. Some of the things that have been raised in some concerns about this uh, city center, very high profile uh, situation going on down there. Um, a lot of the construction's going on downtown, people are wondering about. Uh, the mayor's security, he's got three people that uh, guard him. Uh, helicopters, six helicopters in our fleet, which is larger than most other cities. Um, the, the PR people that work for City Hall, the golf courses. I mean, are people, is it fair to look at all this kind of spending and say that the city could cut back? Well, it's, uh, any, any entity can cut back, but I think when you take that approach, I mean, that, that's sort of the approach that I think opponents of a tax increase would say, oh, look at this, they, ha they haven't done this or they haven't done that, and therefore you come to the general conclusion, vote against the taxes. I think, I think what's really key here, and I think if you look during the Coleman years, actually the rate of growth in the city budget uh, in spending has actually been much lower than its predecessors, although Terry's right that they actually wound up spending down uh, you know, whether you call it a rainy day fund or an inherited surplus. But, but I think the issue, uh, bottom line, is going to be whether or not the citizens of Columbus are happy about their city. Nobody's happy about having to pay more in taxes. But in fact, do, will they actually say, for the good of the city of Columbus, for the quality of our city services, for the direction uh, of Columbus staying in the, sort of in an upward trajectory, will they be willing to support this? And that's really the case that the proponents have to make. Uh, I think they can make a very good case. Uh, and one of the things I would give credit to you, Dorian, and to the mayor is that they've been talking about this issue for multiple years. They have been saying we do have a problem. At the same time, they were also saying we are not going to sort of shut down everything. We're not going to say we're not going to build parks downtown or we're not going to have neighborhood projects or neighborhood uh, investments or whatever because they're saying that Columbus is still a city that has an optimistic, positive outlook that's growing and all of that. So the question really becomes, and again, I think critics can say, well, no, no, you can't be doing these things when you don't have enough money or, uh, and I think Terry's point about city employees contributing more, that is on the, that is definitely on the agenda. But I think the election's gonna come down to, how do you feel about the city of Columbus? Now, and while I don't wanna take cheap shots at other cities in the state of Ohio <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> or, or New Jersey or in no, Michigan or no, whatever, I think it, it will come down to, uh, the, the people really feel confident enough and optimistic enough, even in bad economic times, to say that for the good of the city of Columbus and for us collectively, can, can I vote for this? And, and it's interesting, the, the ad campaign that you're seeing on television suggests too that to turn around a city mm. once you let it decline, oh, as yeah, the ad yeah, says, yeah, is yeah, going yeah. to be very, very difficult to do. That's, that's true, and, and, and again, I think when you, when you look at Columbus, I mean, one, one can talk about a park downtown or a theater district or something in the Northwest or whatever, but in fact, actually, 
things are happening in Columbus. We haven't shut everything down, and in fact, it, it is you know, it is still uh, what the only city in this quadrant of the country that really is growing or whatever. And I think people will make the, uh, the proponents will make the argument. What you're doing here is investing in a city that's its best days are still ahead of it, and that's not what you'd say about a lot of the other cities in this region. Right. The only problem is I was there. WOSU had it on there. Mm. TV uh, October of 07 when the mayor said City Hall finances were great, we don't need a tax hike, uh, Skybus is doing well. Yeah. All well these things have changed dramatically yeah. in yeah. a lot of ways and here. The, and the mayor, to his credit, last week admitted he probably should have come out earlier and said we got a problem and we need to do this and that's part of what Hugh Dorian sure. well, said. Right. And, well, and Hugh Dorian's been saying that for a number of right. years and then of course what did we go into? We went into a major recession that actually is far beyond what anybody had really predicted so here in fact is Columbus and the state of Ohio and all governmental entities uh, facing really an unprecedented recession. All right well let's move on to our final topic here. Vice President Joe Biden was in the state on Thursday urging patience with the president's economic plan and his appearance comes as a new poll shows the president's approval rating in Ohio has fallen. According to last week's Quinnipiac poll, Obama's approval rating declined from 62% in May to 49% in July. One person who may be taking encouragement from this poll is former Republican State Senator Steve Stivers. He announced that he will once again challenge Mary Jo Kilroy for the 15th Congressional District seat. So Herb Asher, it was the narrowest of victories that got Kilroy into Congress in November. So would the president's declining popularity erase that advantage? Well, I think there are three things to consider here. One is that the electorate will be different in 2010, that it'll be a much smaller electorate. And I think probably the, the, the smaller electorate on balance would be of benefit to the Republicans, that, that the Obama campaign stimulated a lot of turnout. And I think disproportionately, uh, I mean, people on, on both sides of the aisle will drop out of the electorate in the off-year election, but I think that may be an advantage for the Republicans. Uh, for another advantage, perhaps, for Steve Stiver, it really depends on whether or not he has two other candidates running from the libertarian or the social conservative wing of the party. Because remember, neither candidate got 50%. I mean, so in fact, and those, two, those other two candidates got about 9%. Something different for Mary uh, Jo Kilroy, though, is she's been the incumbent. And so one of the questions they ask is, how good a job has she done and her staff in building a personal constituency. And by that I mean members of Congress and their staff are constantly doing favors, constituency casework, serving as an ombudsman or whatever. She's only been an incumbent for six, seven months now. But so is that really time to build up that kind oh, of... Oh, but wait, she has another year, before, well, actually more than a year before the election. And the real question is, can you in fact sort of win over three, four, five percent of the citizenry because of things that you're doing? So in fact, uh, th that's a positive for her. But I think we're going to see for the third consecutive election cycle, one of the most highly targeted national races right here in the 15th. Yeah, and expensive. Remember, it wasn't just that she had a narrow win two years ago or last year. She, in fact, had a very narrow loss to Deborah Price. Mm -hmm. And so for two times in a row, and I think for the third time, this will be really the targeted race nationally. Yeah, yeah I, it is. It is uh, surprising that we're already talking about this race because it does feel just like doing we this? just just <laughs> yeah. wrapped it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just a few months ago, and actually we did. Um, but I also think it's interesting uh, the the state politics. Also, what we've seen over the the last month with the budget, and I think that uh, Governor Strickland, it, uh, his poll numbers had taken a hit as well as as I believe you mentioned. And part of part of some of the stalemate over the budget was politics as well, trying to you know just see. Uh, just how 
how you know much heat could the governor take and he took a lot especially in our newspaper and in a lot of other newspapers over his handling of this situation so how is that going to carry over maybe into 2010 because i believe in 2006 um, the governor was uh, he was popular enough and, and he won by a large enough margin that certainly he pulled some Democrats along with him. And now if we're talking about next year in a much closer race. It should be a closer race for him. Even if he wins, I don't know if he's going to have the same impact of, of pulling so many Democrats with him. That and way. you have a challenge, too, in the off year, once the party in power in the White House, you, typically the off year, the first off year election isn't so good for that party. And general favors. Herb hits some very good points. And one of the problems now for Mary Jo is she's got a record to run on. And like that stimulus bill that she and nobody in Congress read, people are now realizing the stimulus bill. And in fact, I love quoting Warren Buffett, a good Obama supporter. He said in the past few days, our first stimulus bill, because he's saying we might need a second one, was sort of like taking half a tablet of Viagra and having a bunch of candy mixed in. It, it, it has not worked real well, and the unemployment's going to get worse, and people are going to say, why didn't you read the bill and see what you voted for? And now we've got the cap-and-trade taxes, health taxes, all those things that she's going to have to try and defend as a member of Congress. But I think the key thing, actually, will be a year from now, do we have signs that, in fact, the unemployment rate is coming down? That's really going to be the bottom line thing here. And if it starts coming down, the Republicans have potentially, at the national level, have done Mary Jo Kilroy a favor. Uh, one way they've done her a favor is simply by basically they're the party of no. They've been the party of no. I mean, this won't work, that won't work. But the, but the other thing really is that they have saying that the stimulus is not working. Well, who knows? Six months from now, the unemployment rate may start coming down. And if it does, then Democrats are going to start claiming progress. We could talk about these things all day, but it's time for our <laughs> weekly off-the-record comments from the panel. Final thoughts or predictions for the week ahead? Serious, whimsical, whatever you got. Reggie Fields, you're first. Well, um, sort of a long-shot view here, but uh, if we're going to head into slots here, I... I predict that probably by the next budget we'll be talking about expanding racinos into table games to bring in even more blackjack, poker, and et cetera. All right, Herb Asher. Simply that if the economy doesn't cooperate, we'll be revisiting this budget repeatedly. I think that's a lot of people have uh, suggested <laughs> yeah. that we're going to be balancing this budget for the next two years. Yeah. Terry Casey. Whimsically, i got to tie in the biggest story of the past two weeks. If Ohio's people at the State House were smart, they would have had Michael Jackson buried at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, slots added there, turn Ohio into a tourist attraction, make money on the slots, everything to recover the economy. Because Michael Jackson, it's obviously, why let California have all the fun when Ohio could have its share? But California needs, <laughs> I mean, $26 billion in debt, doesn't California need that? Well, we need tourist attraction, you know, it'd be a big, big thriller. But how happy we are that we're, we can say, we're not California today. There you go. <laughs> Well, my final thought this week is I certainly hope that as we tape the show on Friday afternoon, it holds through the weekend and nothing, has, nothing changes until Monday morning. So, well, that is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue the conversation at our website. Our question this week, do you think the governor should be able to approve slots without an election? That's at our website, wosu.org slash COTR. I am Karen Kastler. Mike Thompson will be back in this chair next time. Have a good week.